It's a wonderful thing to be together. It's a wonderful thing to be together with the Bible in your hands, isn't it? Wonderful thing to sing together, to pray together. This is stuff that you can't get from watching TV. (laughs) You may get some good teaching. You may hear some good music. But there is no replacing the body of Christ. There's no replacing the fact that you are not meant to be a fan or a spectator of God. You're not meant to be a fan of Jesus. You're meant to be a follower of Jesus, but you're also meant to be a part in the body, a stone in the building. There's no way that any of us would call a building one little stone. We'd never call one little stone a building. We'd never try to live there. A building is made up of many stones. We are living stones, and uh, that's a valuable thing. So we honor and cherish the members of the body that are joined together. That's where God is, is in those joints. We honor and cherish every member, no matter how insignificant they may seem. In fact, if they seem insignificant, yet are carrying out their role, we give them even more honor, just because they're doing something that they're not getting applause for. And that's worth a lot. But let's, let's just, uh, once again, dedicate the service to the Lord. Father, we, we come to you honored to be your people, honored to be your sons and daughters, grateful that you've called us out of darkness into glorious light, grateful that you've brought us together with such wonderful people, grateful that we've been redeemed by your blood, that we've been set free from the law of sin and death, grateful that we don't have to live like the world lives, grateful that we do not have to live in darkness but can walk in light, sweet light, And Lord, we ask you to open our eyes as we walk as children of light. Open our eyes to your truth. Open our eyes to your word. Open our eyes to revelation that will change our lives. Father, we ask you to open our ears to hear what we wouldn't have heard had we come in as a natural man. Allow us to be spiritual men and women that hear the deep things of God, that understand the deep things of God, the things that the world cannot possibly understand, but that you've revealed through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which teaches us all things, leads us and guides us into all truth, that anointing which abides within, which is able to teach us. We thank you. Now, Lord, we choose to lay aside every distraction, every root of bitterness, every hurt, every fear, everything we might have brought into this sanctuary that is not of you, that may exalt itself against the knowledge of God. We cast down, lay it down at your cross, and ask that we may come to you clean, pure, and ready to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, would you open that Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? And we'll spend just a small amount of time there and then go to our main area in Luke 9. We're really blessed tonight. We're really blessed in the life that you're living. You're blessed to know that you've inherited a ministry. I know that a lot of us think of the things that God's called us as quite unique. And they are. They're unique. They're special. But you've inherited a ministry from Him. Have you ever noticed the two books that Luke wrote? The book of Luke, obviously. And the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it starts out, and I've said this to you a few times. The book of Acts starts out, and he says... Both, both letters were addressed to a man named Theophilus. Now, whether that just is a friend, just general friend of God, many scholars believe that this fellow was a, a, a fellow that actually worked in, in one of the palaces because of the way he addresses them. He addresses them with uh, a way that you would address nobility. 
And perhaps Theophilus is just a code name uh, so that this man's identity is not revealed and he gets thrown to the lions. Anyways, both are addressed to this fellow. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, it says, In my first account, Theophilus, I wrote of all that Jesus began to do in his ministry. It doesn't say, I wrote all that he began to do and finished in his ministry. It doesn't say, I wrote of all that Jesus was sent to accomplish. He said, I wrote of all that he began to do. The book of Luke starts out with the birth of Jesus. Well, it starts out before then. It starts out with a prophecy about John the Baptist. Goes all the way through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, ascension. And yet he describes that as the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So you have to realize that when Jesus went up to be with the Father, that was only the beginning of his ministry. His ministry has been passed on to those that bear his name. Ephesians says, I pray that you, I mean, it says a lot of things, but one of the things is that you would know the hope of his calling, not of yours. Because really, you don't have a calling outside of his calling. You've inherited his ministry. You've been given the ministry he started, and he will finish, and we are part of that. So that's a joy, that's a pleasure, that's a privilege. That's something we should rejoice in every day, that we didn't have to start anything, we don't have to finish anything. We step in to what he has begun. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. The time of living for yourself is over. It's gone. It's done. And thank God for it, because you didn't live for yourself very well. We tried. We actually did things for ourselves that made it worse. It's like a child trying to fix a compound fracture that he's incurred by going off a ramp too high. And he tries to fix it with sticks and leaves. It doesn't work. We've made things worse for ourselves. Thank God he made things a whole lot better. We step into that. We no longer live for ourselves. So if we don't live for ourselves, who do we live for? But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, because of this, because he died and rose for us, we have died. Our old, our old self is dead. He died for us, thank God, because that was going to be a hard thing. He died. He took that for us. We have died. We've been crucified with Christ. So, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, according to who they were without Jesus, according to what they would be if Jesus was not in them, according to what they brought to the table, according to who they thought they were, their talents, their skills, their abilities. We don't pay attention to that. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. So if I judge Josh according to the flesh, it's just as bad as me saying that Jesus was just a good teacher. If I were to say, Josh, well, he's a, he's a, he's a strong guy. He's a, you know, he, yeah, he's a, he could probably get his point across. And I just describe him in natural terms. Even if I were saying those things complementary, even if I were saying that those things could help the kingdom of God. But I neglected the things that completely were nothing to do with who he was, that God sovereignly brought into his life, that God placed in him, the gifts and callings that God put in him 
that he couldn't possibly have done without himself. If I, if I forget those things and just describe someone in the natural, it's just as bad as me saying, well, Jesus was a great teacher. It's the same level. If we can recognize that Jesus was divine, that he was sent of God, that he was the son of God, I must also recognize that everybody in this building is more than the sum total of their talents, abilities, and genetics. <laughs> we could spend a lot of time on that, but that's really not the point tonight. So we'll go on. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is everyone, isn't it? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, in other words, that's what you look at. Behold, that's what you're supposed to stare at. New things have come. Now all these things, what things? The new things. All of these new things are from God who reconciled us. And it was he brought us back together. Reconciled us to I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> he said, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see that they're tied together. In fact, they, one could say that they were in the same motion. As he brought us to him, he gave us something. Now, <laughs> we can look at this and go, oh, great. Some gift, he gave us a job. Thank God, though. Because if you understand the way we were created, you were created to find satisfaction and joy, pleasure, all of those good things in, in, in doing what you were created to do, in serving God, in pleasing Him. And He's done all the work for that to happen. You may say, well, I mean, oh, <laughs> uh, some gift, uh, that's like giving me a Christmas gift saying, will you mow my lawn? No, it's not, because God created for you, this for the, you for this purpose. This is what you were designed for. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. This is where you will find joy, is in taking upon, taking upon yourself his ministry that he's given you. When he brought you near, he gave you the same ministry to bring others near. That's a wonderful call. It's a wonderful purpose. It's a wonderful goal in life. Since I've brought, been brought near to God, I will bring others near. I've been given the ministry. I want you to think about that. To be given a ministry is not something that you earned. It's not something that you grasped. You were given a ministry. When you're given a ministry, how many of you know that when you're given a ministry, you're not just given a, a charge? You're not just given a command? When you're given a ministry, you're given all the tools that you need to accomplish the ministry. Isn't that great? That Jesus didn't just put you in the ministry and then say, well, figure it out. He gave you his ministry and every tool that he had to carry out that ministry. Everything that Jesus had carrying out that ministry, he has now put inside of you. He would not give you the ministry if you didn't have the equipment for it. Thank God. Thank God. So that takes all the excuses away, doesn't it? But it also gives you that joy, that rest, that thrill of knowing that I'm not going to step into a position where I'm in that ministry. How do, how do we step into the ministry of reconciliation? We'll see in a few verses, but you can obviously kind of peek ahead and know that, that the way you step into the ministry of reconciliation is by reconciling men to God 
is by preaching, is by sharing, is by praying, is by bringing people to God in whatever way he tells you to do it. And he gave you the ability to do that. So if you step in the mall and the Lord has put on your heart, talk to that person about me. Bring them near. Reconcile them to me. You don't have to figure out how to do that. You've been equipped. Here's what he says. Therefore, or sorry, namely, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So that is how we carry out the ministry of the reconciliation is by the word of reconciliation. Do you see the connection there? The ministry is carried out in the word. Why? Because the word, as Jesus described it, he sowed the word. It was a seed. Now, what's the most, the coolest part of a seed is that a whole tree, every bit of the fruit, everything a tree will ever be is in the seed already. It's already there. So when the word is sown into hearts, everything needed for that word to be, to create what it's going to create is already there the moment it's sown. When you received Jesus, there was a whole bunch of stuff you didn't know that was planted in you. When, you're, when you hear the word of God in church, stuff is put inside of you that you don't even, ha you don't even have a clue how it's going to happen. But he hasn't just preached to you a seed. He, preached, he gave you a seed that will blossom, split open, bearing fruit, causing tree. I mean, come on, guys. When you, when you sow an apple seed, seeds for an apple tree, you put them in the ground. You don't later have to bury some wood in there, bury some leaves in there, bury some apples in there, and then they all form together. In that one seed is everything. The one seed is everything. So in order to reconcile the world to God, he's already done all the work for that. What has he committed to us? The word of reconciliation. The word. He gave us the word. Now, now, I want you to think of that for a moment. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He didn't say, I told you the word. He didn't say, I gave you permission to say the word. He said, I've committed to you the word of reconciliation. What does that mean? You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to read from a track. You don't have to, to practice what you're going to say. He has given you the word of reconciliation, no matter what you say, because he'll give you the utterance if you trust him. He'll give you the utterance, and you'll have the word that draws people to God. Now, you're going to reconcile them just like Jesus did, not counting their trespasses against them, but drawing them close to God. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. Isn't that wonderful? Thank God. Man, soul winning is not hard when you realize God is making the appeal through you. He's not saying make an appeal for me. He says, I'll make an appeal through you. Oh, this is good news because the harvest is so great. This is good news because Canada is ripe. This is good news because Alberta and Saskatchewan are ripe for harvest. Oh, there may be a lot of people who say they're Christians because somebody told them about Jesus once. But they, they're no closer to God than, than they were 10 years ago. Who can bring them close? You can. 
And Lloydminster is full of people who've had some sort of seed sown in them. I just need someone to demand a harvest. Someone to cause it to grow. Someone to say, you've been sitting with that seed long enough. It's time to be born again. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm stepping into harvest. And there's joy in harvest, thank God. Such joy in the harvest. We enter the, to the joy of the master, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the harvest. I mean, you never see God talking about harvest, especially in the New Testament. You don't see him talking about harvest in a negative sense. We may, we may know, you know, some of the, those that are here tonight have, have done harvest in the natural sense, and it's been hard work. But it is a joy when you have a bumper crop. It is a joy when you can bring it in. It's so much more a joy when we, do, uh, when we enter into the harvest of God, into his harvest, and we come back, it says, come back rejoicing, bringing in those sheaves. That's not just a song. That's not just a song. Jesus said that the harvesters will rejoice. Thank God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him and working together with him. Don't you love that? Working together with him. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, what does behold mean? Look, stare, gaze, fix your eyes on this. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, in other words, look at this again. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. This is the harvest time. Don't be afraid to step into harvest and say, well, well there's, there, there haven't been enough seeds sown. It hasn't been watered. It hasn't been uh, you know, properly fertilized. Just know that it's harvest time. This is the day of salvation. This is, this is, this is you know, twofold. And first of all, he's talking to the people who will be born again, who will be reconciled. He says, this is your day of salvation. Thank God. It's my day of salvation. But to us who've stepped into his ministry, we realize that he has not only said to the people who are being saved, this is your day of salvation. He said to us, this is the day of salvation. Put out your hand so that they may grab mine. This is the day of salvation. Praise God. This is the day of harvest. This is, I mean, it has not passed us by. It is not a future time. Where if we pray long enough and cry at the altar, God will send the day of harvest. This is it. This is it. The issue, and we'll read this in a moment, but the issue, according to Jesus, the issue is not that there's no harvest or there's not enough harvest. The only problem, according to Jesus, were there, was that there weren't enough laborers to, to carry in the harvest. That's a good problem. I mean, I'm telling you, that's a good problem. To have so much harvest, 
that the only problem is there's not enough people to carry it in. Just like the fishers. Just like when Jesus told them to cast a net on the other side, their nets broke. I mean, the nets weren't big enough. The boat wasn't big enough. I mean, they just weren't equipped for all that fish. So what did Jesus say? He said, pray. God would send forth laborers in the harvest. He didn't say pray that more people sow more seed. He didn't say pray that there'd be more fields somewhere else. He said pray that there'd be more harvesters. You're the answer to that prayer. Not only are we meant to pray that as well. I believe that. I believe that we're also meant to say, Lord, send laborers. Lord, send harvesters. But you better not ask God to send something you're not willing to be yourself. (laughs) It's like I better not preach something I'm not willing to do. (laughs) I can't preach something that I'm not willing to do myself. We, We shouldn't pray for harvesters if we're not willing to be those harvesters. This is good news, though. This is not bad news because you were designed for harvest. You were designed, and the harvest is the fun part. That's the good part. That's the joyful part. Oh, I mean, this is not, uh, this is not a lecture. Get yourself back together. You're slacking off. This is good news. Harvesters want to be harvesting. Who doesn't want to be a hero? Who doesn't want to reach out that hand and save the one that's dying? Come on, this is good. Let's turn to Luke 9. Thank God. Thank God for the day of salvation. We live, I mean, of all the time to be born, we were born in the day of salvation. Oh my goodness, the rest of history was hard. It was toil. It was pain. It was misery. There were Gentile nations that weren't even allowed unless they left their people and and lived as subservient people among the Israelites. They weren't even allowed to to be close to God. They had no way. The Israelites themselves couldn't be near as close as you are. Once a day or sorry, once a year, one man, one man once a year was allowed to go in the Holy of Holies. One man once a year. Now, he says, today, we can boldly come through the, through, by the blood of Jesus through the live, new and living way. We boldly and confidently enter the throne room of grace. What a day to be born. What an age to live in, the age of the day of salvation. Yeah, there's great darkness everywhere. But do you remember? We walk in light. Do you remember that the scripture says we were rescued? Rescued from the kingdom of darkness, brought in to his kingdom and marvelous light, the kingdom of his son. That's, that's how it happened for us. We were rescued. We were snatched out. This is the day of rescue. Oh, we say, thank you, Lord, for bringing the light. And he says, yes, I bring the light to you and I send the light through you. Go out, rescue from darkness. Cause the eyes that are blinded to see. Acts 26, if you want to read that on your own, is a great example of that. It's Jesus' commission to Paul. But we'll go to Luke 9 for right now. And uh, we'll go into from Luke 9 to, to Luke 10, Anita. So if you have that already. Luke 9, verse 51. 
says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, literally says for his taking, taking up, he was determined or he set his face to Jerusalem. This is important because he begins to do some things and say some things that had to wait until this time. I want you to notice that who he's speaking to in this section is not the multitudes, it is the disciples. We fall under this category. We've inherited his ministry. What he begins to do from this point on is begin to pass on his ministry. He did not send the 70 out because he didn't have time. He didn't send the 12 out because he didn't have time. He sent those men out so that they could walk in his ministry, be trained in his ministry, so that when he was gone and his spirit was with them, they would know what to do. They'd have the confidence to do it. He let them do that while he was still on the earth. But there'd be a day when they would not see him, they'd not come back to report to him, but he'd be unseen, and they'd be carrying out his ministry. Verse 52 says, And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. They received him at other times. But now that he's traveling towards Jerusalem, they feel he's picked sides. And it's always us against them. Now, if you're going to go preach at their church, we're not having you at ours. That's kind of the idea. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you also command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> I mean, that's it. They missed it. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> they had their chance. <laughs> he turned and rebuked them and said, you do, know not, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. Uh-oh. See, we do this a lot, too. <laughs> a lot of times we're, we're the Jonah in this situation that really feel that this is finally, you know what, I did all I could do. They deserve what they and we desire to see retribution. We desire to see the vengeance of God poured out on them. For they have not received us. <laughs> Let them burn. <laughs> all fired up. When God is still a God of mercy and compassion, there is vengeance. There is justice. But his mercy triumphs over judgment. As much as God has poured out wrath on humanity, there are plenty of examples. It has been out of justice, but also out of love. He has never ceased to be the God of love. Scripture never says at any point, God is anger. It does says God is love. Even in Ezekiel, when the wicked will die because they've been opposing the people of God and in order for the people of God to become the people of God so that they can carry out the line which Jesus was to come through and save and rescue humanity, there were some w wicked who had to perish. God says in Ezekiel, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. Huge thought. I don't, even, I don't delight in their deaths. It may have been necessary, but I take no delight in it. So, <laughs> he says... You don't know what kind of spirit you are of. Uh-oh. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Isn't that awesome? I didn't come to destroy their lives. I came to save them. 
And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why is that? Scripture tells us he has a home. Scripture tells us that, I mean, there's, there's specific scriptures that said they were at Jesus' home. But you know, Jesus did not stay at home. He didn't stay in his hometown. And there's not Motel 6 everywhere you go. There's not a Best Western. There's nothing. So when Jesus goes out, he is limited to those that will receive him. If they, they don't receive him, he's got nowhere. He's not going to force him. He's not going to say, okay, James and John, we'll call down fire. As soon as the house is burned out, we'll go. We'll stay there for a night. It's, it's, if no one receives him, there's nowhere to lay his head. So you want to follow me, you have to know, everybody that followed me left something. <laughs> and they're relying fully on me. Now, do you know that the disciples never lacked for anything? They never wanted for anything. They had everything they needed. I never see an example in the scripture where they had to sleep out in the rain. Or they went without food. There's no example of that. In fact, when they began to think they were going to go without food, Jesus rebuked them and reminded them of his feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. Didn't he? So what's the deal here? Why does he say that? Because, and we'll see later, his disciples were being trained not to rely on something that they thought was secure, that was temporary. They were, not, they were, not, they were being trained not to rely on a home they could always count on, a table they could always depend on being there. They were going to be stepping out in faith and relying on the living God. And everywhere they went, they'd have to know, I'm walking with nothing in my hand, and yet I'll have everything when I need it. They were being trained to fully rely on God. And if you're not ready to do that, buddy, don't get on board. You know? It's like going on the mission field with no contacts, barely any money, just because God told you to go there. Listen, He'll supply for you. Later on, Jesus said, when I sent you out with no money bag, no purse, did you lack for anything? And they said, no, we did not. They never lacked for anything. But they had to learn not to rely on daddy's inheritance. They had to learn not to rely on a house that they had built. They had to learn to rely fully on God, step out in faith, walk on the water, and see him meet their needs. And if you're not willing to do that, my friend, don't follow me. Because you're counting on the temporary things when I'm asking you to count on the eternal things. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And I don't believe, many people have talked about this, I don't believe that his father was dead. He'd be burying him right then. He's saying, let me wait till my dad dies. I get the house in order. Then I'll go. He said to them, allow the dead to bury their own dead. That's harsh, isn't it? But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. As for you, See, Jesus didn't give up on this man even at this moment. He says, as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And others also said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Okay, I won't wait until they die. Just let me say goodbye. Can I at least just go and say bye? Jesus said, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. All three of these go together. 
All three go together. You got to leave everything. In every, in every circumstance, he's saying you got to leave everything you thought you had. You leave everything. You set your face. Just like Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, you set your face to the task. You put your hand to the plow and you don't turn back. So verse, chapter 10, verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city, every city and place where he himself was going to come. So Jesus was going to visit all these places, but he's sending out his team to prepare the way for him. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful. There's lots of harvest, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into whose harvest? His harvest. Go. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. This means where you're sent, you go where you're sent. You don't waste time. You don't get distracted. You go. Now, the reason we're reading this tonight is because we've inherited the same ministry that those disciples were walking in. That's our ministry. So if we realize that there are a lot of people, there are lots, there's lots of harvest out there, the problem is it hasn't been harvested. Why? Because most people, in fact, most believers don't have a clue how to harvest. And that's the sad part. That's the good news for us is we're going to, we've received his spirit. We've got his word. If you're willing, he'll send you out. Friends, we, we have to come to the conclusion at some point that we've got way too many people in the body of Christ for the harvest fields to be this full still. There are, there are a lot of brothers and sisters, including ourselves, that have been called to this ministry. It's time to stop being fans. Stop being spectators. Be harvesters. This is good. He says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. Another translation says, if a son of peace is there. Your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. What's he talking about? If this is good ground, they'll receive the word. If it's not, your peace will come right back to you. If it's not, you move on. He says, stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. This is how Jesus planned to feed his disciples. Do not keep moving from house to house. What is he saying? He's saying, find the ones that receive the word. Stay there. There are going to be people in your house that are sons and daughters of peace. They may never have received Jesus. They may never have ever even heard the gospel presented to them. When you go, find the ones that will receive the word. Stay on those people. Preach to those that will hear it. You don't keep going to everybody. You find the ones that receive the word. Then you just put everything you've got into them. Then you move on to somebody else. But sometimes we're so quick and manic about how we do it, we preach to everybody and we just say, okay, all right, well, I'm going to pray a quick prayer with you, then I'm going to leave you because I've got to get more people. No, Jesus says, find the ones that will receive. Spend time with those people. So we're learning, right? We can be taught. We're learning. You don't, this isn't a numbers game, guys. You don't have to talk to 50 people in an hour. You just go to the ones God sends you to and you pour into them. Find the ones that receive. 
preach to them. When they're ready, they can go out and go be fed or go feed someone else, and you move to someone else. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is how... Now, listen, this is a, this is a, a, a description of how to harvest. We don't want to neglect this. We, don't want to, we see how Jesus says, this is how you're meant to do it. How are you meant to do it? You go, you, you give peace. You, I mean, you preach the gospel. Who re- whoever receives it, you stay with that person. You pour into them. And then it says, heal anyone who's sick. Why? Because that's part of the gospel. It always goes with it. Yeah. If we're going to go witness to people, there will be signs and wonders that follow. Don't be afraid to pray for somebody. You preach to them, don't be afraid to say, are you sick? Because I'll pray with you right now. This is good. This is, I mean, this is often is the difference between one man getting saved and a whole house getting saved. Isn't it? You say, all right, I, I'm confident I've been given his ministry. Which means I, I've got the same ability to do what he did in his ministry. I, I, and he didn't do it just because he needed to prove something. This was part of the ministry. So we want to walk in his ministry, do what he did. He gave you a perfect example here. Preach, heal, and then say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of this city which clings to our feet will wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I realize this is before Jesus died and was risen. So we may give them some latitude and say, well, these were for the Jews that did not receive him. That's true. There is an element, though, that we see throughout the scripture of those that will not receive, that are hard hearts. I believe that prayer can soften those hearts, but I believe it's foolishness to keep banging away at the same rock when there are plenty of other people that are soft and ready to receive. Now, if God puts somebody on your heart, you do whatever he tells you to do. You pray. You, you stand on their behalf. You fight for them. But if he hasn't, move on. What I love is that Jesus hasn't yet been to those cities. And yet he says the kingdom of God has come near to you. you. Say, well, Jesus carried the kingdom with him. Yeah, but when he sent them out, he sent the kingdom with them. Amen. Wherever they went, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I want you to know what you missed. The kingdom of God was in your house. Ooh. Now that's cool, because that's us. We are carriers of the kingdom of God. We carry his kingdom with us. And wherever we go, we say the kingdom of God has come near you. That sounds arrogant, but it is true. Because let's see what the scripture says. The scripture clearly says that his kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kingdom. It's a higher kingdom. That the God of this world is still ruling in the hearts of those who disobey. He has no right. Yet they let him rule. Where does the kingdom of God go? There will be a day when Jesus rules with a rod of iron. But until that day, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God goes with you. Judgment goes with you. This is a wonderful news because this means everything that the kingdom has 
is resident in your heart, goes with you as you preach, the kingdom goes from your lips. As you lay hands on the sick, the kingdom is manifest in that house. The kingdom travels with the believers, with the sons and daughters of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near. But whatever city you enter, and they did not receive you, go... Oh, we've read that, sorry. Verse 12, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles which have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me. Now, he's talking to his disciples again. He's not talking to Capernaum. He's talking to his disciples. He says, the one who listens to you listens to me. This is why it's so important that we do not pollute his word with our opinions. With your methods, with your trademarks, with your signature phrase, you let the Holy Spirit speak through you. Preach the word. Preach the kingdom. Let him give you utterance. The one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. That, that makes it easier to be rejected, isn't it? When you say, if they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting Jesus. That's okay. This means, I mean, you, you can't go around being a jerk because then they'll reject you just because you're you. But if you go around with the love of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the word of reconciliation, and they reject that, and many will, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And you can go and say, thank God. I'm, an, I'm honored to be put in the same category as him. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So here's the chain. If they reject you, they reject me. If they reject me, they reject the Father. We're all connected. The 70 returned with, what's that word? Joy. Did they fail? No, they succeeded. Guys, you may think that this is a losing task, trying to win the world to Jesus. This is not. You're set up for success. You're set up to actually prosper in this task because you've been equipped for it. Now they came back with joy. Thank God. This is where joy is found in the harvest. Oh, we just heard a fiery message by Reinhard Bonnke last week, and he talked about realizing that when it says, Enter into the joy of your master, enter into the joy, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. He's not talking about when you die. How do we know that? Because in that very parable, he gives him more to do and says, enter into the joy of your master. So he says, I've come to the conclusion that the joy, and he referred to when Jesus, uh, for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy is the souls. The joy is the reconciliation. We enter into his joy, that's entering into the joy of a soul winner. Jesus' joy. They said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That fall is not just fall once. If you look in the original tense, it's fall and continue to fall. I was watching him fall, fall, fall. So he's not referring back to when Satan was cast from heaven. No, he's watching. He's saying, like I sent you out like arrows. And I was watching the fortresses. I was watching the strongholds. I was watching his forces fall, fall, fall. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all 
how much? Over all the power of the enemy. And how much? Nothing. This is, this is all inclusive. I've given you authority over all, whoa, over all the power of the enemy. Your authority is greater than their authority. And nothing, not one thing, will injure you. Nevertheless, <laughs> so that's good news. He says, don't you love when someone gives you good news and goes, but that's not even the best news? Because nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. But that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Rejoice in that. This other stuff is just icing on the cake. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Greatly. And said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things, all things, everything you need for this ministry, everything you're going to need as you hit the streets, everything you need at your workplace, everything you need with your family on Thanksgiving, in order to carry out the word of reconciliation, all things have been given to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son. And anyone, <laughs> you think just the Father and the Son know all the secrets, right? But then he adds this part, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. That's us. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. Wow. Have you considered your eyes blessed lately? When you see a sinner, repent. Return to the living God. When you see a soul trapped in darkness rescued, born again and delivered to, to light, have you considered how blessed your eyes are just to see it? Blessed are your eyes to see which the things which they see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. This is the day of salvation. This is the day and the season of harvest. Humility does not say, I'm not worthy for this task. Therefore, I won't do it. Humility says, he's worthy for the task. And I've stepped into his labor. Therefore, I will do it. You want to be a humble servant, embrace the authority given you. You want to be a humble servant, don't try to make up your own words, take his. This is a good day to be alive. Amen. Your eyes are blessed. Amen. Your ears are blessed. How blessed are we to be alive at this moment in history? The day of salvation. The day of the harvest. Jesus just gave us a cheat sheet on how to do it. On how to harvest. You go. You depend not for one second on what you brought. 
You depend fully on the Lord. You say what He tells you to say. You go where He tells you to go. And when you go there, you find the ones that receive the word and you pour into those people. You heal them. You watch God meet their needs. You tell them, God is near. The kingdom is here. Be reconciled to God. Because here's the deal. God is making his appeal through you. Don't ask the Lord to make an appeal in the night. Don't ask the Lord to make an appeal with angels. Sure, he's able. In fact, he's done that at times. But it is not his desire that he do those things apart from us. Through Scripture, He has clearly stated that He has given us His ministry. He will make an appeal to men through you. And that appeal is, be reconciled to God. Come back to your Creator. Be joined with Him. Forget your trespasses. They're no more. Come close again. Oh, this is the word. This is the word of reconciliation. Come close to God. Come to God. Come to Jesus. Come back. Come close. He's drawing the world close to Himself. He's drawing them close. He's bringing them near. And He gets to use you as the hands that do it, as the arms that wrap around them, as the voice that calls and beckons them. What a privilege. You're part of God's hug. This is good. Be reconciled. Snatching those from the fire. Hmm. In order to do this, I, I, I was almost ready to go. I want to read you something quickly from Jude 19. Because I believe that it's important that we take, we take this ministry seriously. It is a ministry of joy, isn't it? Joy, 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 happy. This is good. Yet... We be sober about it. You can be sober and have great joy. Did you know that? Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. You, I mean, we're meant to have joy. This is joyful. This is good news. Sure. I, I don't think one word we said tonight was bad news. This is good. But let's be sober about it because you realize that there is an enemy. Yeah. There's another side to this. The entire book of Jude speaks about those who have crept in and deceived men. That's enough to make you fearful if you didn't know whose side you're on. Book of Jude, all the letters from John actually very firmly address false teachers. Paul's last two letters to Timothy, same thing. Peter's letters. You notice ever the, the, the first few epistles in the New Testament are telling you who you are in Christ, telling you a lot of good things. The last epistles are talking a lot about these false teachers that will arise and how to combat that. Jude speaks a lot about this. He says, now listen, they've crept in. They're clouds without rain. Uh, well, we're going we're gonna to head into Jude 17, sorry. So there's only one chapter, so we should be able to get there. Jude 1.17 says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers. No doubt about that. They'll, they'll be there. Following after their own ungodly lusts. 
These are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly-minded. They are devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. But you, beloved. Wow, isn't that wonderful to be called that? But you, loved of God. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You want to see more examples of that edifying you? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Building yourselves up, praying in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Oh, yeah, you'll be tempted when these creeps, because they've crept in, so we just call them creeps. When the creeps come in and mislead many, you're tempted to step out of love and do what James and John did and say, call down fire. But you step out of his spirit into another spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves. He doesn't say, I'll keep you there. He says, you keep yourselves in the love of God. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now it's looking forward to his second coming. Still looking forward to that with great hope. And have mercy on some who are doubting. So some of these are just innocent people who have been watching the wrong show, listening to the wrong person, reading the wrong book. Have mercy on these people. You don't get mad at them. Have mercy on them. Lead them back to the truth. Now that's only some, but that's not all of them. Save others. So these are others. Snatching them out of the fire. Now, mercy on some who have you know, kind of gone astray, who are doubting. They're, they're, they're still, you know, they can be led gently. But mercy on others, snatching them out of the fire. That's, that's not, now, Brother Josh. Yeah. <laughs> snatching them out of the fire is like, hey, get their attention. God will give you a spirit of authority that you go in and you say, you are, I don't care about your feelings right now. I'm dragging you out of the fire. But you hurt my arm. I don't care. I'm bringing you out. I don't want you to die. This is like, this is more intense. This, these are the ones that are far gone, right on the edge, right on the edge of falling away. You grab them. <laughs> you don't worry about hurting little feelings or anything. You just grab them back. You say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm in the love of God. I'm going to snatch you out of the fire so you don't die. This is good. And on some, so here's another group, have mercy with fear. It's not the bad kind of fear. This is the, 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 the holy fear. Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. In other words, these people are in such deep sin and deception that you go in there, prayed up. Remember, built up in the Holy Spirit. Built up in your most holy faith. On your most holy faith, it says, not in, on. Praying in the Holy Spirit, in the love of God. This is your armor. You go in and you... Save these ones, and you don't touch what they've been touching. You get out of there. You get them and get out. Why? Because they're infected with deception. They're infected with deep wickedness. And you don't want that on you. Well, you're above that, right? So there are those that are way down the wrong. And God says, I still want to save them. I still want to bring them back. But you've got to be prayed up. You've got to be kept in the love of God. You've got to be looking to my coming. Because if you're not ready, you could get infected. So he says, have mercy with fear. 
hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Not even, not even touching what they've been touching. This is meat. This is not milk. Now here's the good news. So unless, if you're quaking at that last verse, going, uh-oh. What happens, though? Do I catch the... Di- what happens? Verse 24 is good news for you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Yay! Praise the Lord. He is able to keep you from stumbling. Lest you become timid about witnessing. Lest you become timid about who you're around. Listen, when you save those with fear, that means you get them, you get out of there. You don't fellowship with what they've been fellowshipping with. You're there as a minister and a witness, and you get them out. You don't stay. Say, well, I guess I could stay for a while. Oh, you know, I'll just get to know you and your friend. Get out of there. But he's able to keep you from stumbling. Don't be afraid. He's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Praise the Lord. This is good. Harvest time is here. Get prayed up. Build yourself up in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Spirit as often as you can. You say, well, what is praying in the, in the Holy Spirit? Is that, is that just praying at, by His leading? The only time that we clearly get a good definition of what praying in the Holy Spirit is, is once again, 1 Corinthians 14. When He says... There are ways to pray that everyone understands. There's ways to pray that no one else understands. You're just speaking straight to God. In other words, speaking in tongues. He says, therefore, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind. Now, if praying, with, praying in the Spirit was simply praying according to the will of God, why would you ever pray with your mind? Right? So pray with your mind is praying in the tongue that you know, the language you understand. Praying in the Spirit is praying, speaking mysteries to God. Therefore, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with my mind. I will sing in the Spirit, I will sing with the mind. So what do you do? You go into these situations. It's harvest time. You get your harvesting gloves on. Get your harvesting coat on. You pray in the Holy Spirit. You get built up in your most holy faith. Now, you get built up on your most, on your most holy faith. It's not just praying in the Spirit. That's also reading the Word, getting filled up with what he, of who He is, what He is. You keep yourself in the love of God. You make sure I'm not saying a word to that person that didn't come from love. Speak the truth in love. And then you say, Jesus is coming soon. I'm so anxious. I'm so ready that I'm going to go save some people because he's coming soon. And you do exactly what he tells you to do. And you'll be ready because it's not your ministry. You'll be equipped because it's his ministry. And you inherited not only his ministry, but the entire, every tool he used. Man, if you inherited your father's construction company, you inherited all the tools that he left behind. You inherited Jesus' ministry. You inherited every tool he ever had. This is the age of the soul winner. This is the age of the harvest. This is the day of salvation. Don't miss out on the joy. Don't miss out on the, on the celebration. Don't miss out on the big picnic we're going to have in the middle of the field. Don't sit back and say, well, I wish I could be one of them, but I'm real scared. Don't worry. He gave you the words. He'll give you the boldness. Those are part of his tools. Those are part of the new things that came. 
Old things passed away. Does it say, look at the old things? No. It says, behold, new things have come. And all those new things are from God who committed to us the word of reconciliation. What does that mean? All those new things must be all the things I need to carry out that ministry. It says, behold, look at those things. I got new things. I got new things. I got new tools. Amen. Would you stand up? Harvest time is here. Harvest time is here. Are you tired of churches growing by cannibalistic growth? Well, we just grow when another church loses some members. I'm tired of that because the kingdom is not growing. Done with it. Ready for the church to grow with new blood. Ready for the church to grow from the harvest. That's where the joy is. Ready for every body of believers that's truly preaching the word of God in this city to grow, to grow from growth that comes from people being born again, yes. set on fire for Jesus. Amen. Yes. Those are the people we want. Yes. Guess what? You get a bunch of, I mean, you know what? Sometimes God's going to call people to this church that came from another place. That's all right. That's good. But our number one goal is to win the lost. Yes. Rescue those from darkness yes. into light. Yes. Don't just wait and wait for them. Say, maybe we'll get bigger. Maybe we can merge with that other church. No, don't worry about that. <laughs> we want the kingdom to grow. We're not, we don't, I don't care if this church... I mean, this, well, I care, but that's not my concern whether this church grows. It's not my business. It's not what I was called to. It's called to increase the kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. We are walking... In fields we have not planted. We are stepping into other men's labors and we are thankful. We've stepped into the day of harvest. We've stepped into the day of salvation. And we choose to submit ourselves to your ministry. We receive your ministry. Lord, if we've been resisting, we don't resist anymore. Give us the tools we need to accomplish what you've called us to do. We receive gladly the ministry of reconciliation. Now put in every believer's mouth the word of reconciliation, the supernatural utterance needed to accomplish this task. I pray that, uh, that you would give them, as Paul prayed in Ephesians 6, that you would give them utterance in the opening of their mouths, that they may speak your word boldly with clarity as it ought to be spoken. If there's any timid here, I ask, Lord, that you reinstall in their minds, just reaffirm in them that you've not given them the spirit of timidity, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. The mind of Christ. Spirit of love. A spirit of power. And the mind of Christ. Jesus, what a wonderful... Wow! We're so blessed. Blessed are our eyes to see what we've seen. Don't let us forget how blessed we are. For you have revealed things that the smartest doctors and theologians and scholars couldn't even understand. You've revealed it to us, the infants, <laughs> who are growing up in you. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We bless your name. May you be exalted and magnified in our lives, in our church, in our city. This city is yours. This city is yours. We refuse to give up on it. We're not shaking the dust of our feet yet because there are still men and women of peace in this city who have yet to receive the word. 
There are yet sons and daughters of peace who haven't heard. There are sons and daughters of peace who haven't been preached to yet. We will preach to those people. In Jesus' name. Amen. So be blessed, be blessed, be blessed. And the Lord make His face shine upon you and give you peace. And that peace is meant to rest on those who receive what you have to say. When they receive you, they receive Jesus. Make sure you represent who He is. Be a pure vessel so that when they reject you, you know they're rejecting Jesus. When they receive you, they can receive Jesus and not a personality and not a character. Tomorrow is prayer and we will pray that the Lord will send laborers into the harvest field. We will pray that the Lord gives us the boldness and the opportunity we need to see His kingdom advanced.